Okay, first and foremost, we are not mental health professionals. We are here to share our experience, but we can't give you medical advice. If you're experiencing a crisis, please reach out to a local or national resource. You can reach the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or find additional mental health resources on the ABA website. everyone. Happy almost New Year's Eve. Welcome to Mensana, a motion for mental health. I'm Laura. And I'm Caitlin. And this is a podcast dedicated to reducing mental health stigma in the legal industry through weekly conversations. That is a hype jam. I know. Getting ready for the new year. Yeah, yeah. We're excited about it. So hey, everyone. Uh, We are, again, as always, super excited to be here. Uh, We have with us tonight another very special guest. I have told you all several times about how much I have really appreciated my work environment and the partners in my law firm that have been really supportive to me through my mental health journey. Um, They've both been really, really open with me about their journeys and and just made me feel really comfortable talking about what I'm going through and and, um, being supportive through that. So I'm really excited to let you guys know that tonight we have one of the partners from my law firm with us, Rebecca. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Will you just like say hi to the listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. Hey, guys. Hello there, self-care partners. Yes. Yes, I have been listening to the podcast. <laughs> Proof. <Yes. laughs> My name is Rebecca Gwilt. I'm a partner at Nixon Law Group, and um, I'm Caitlin's boss. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's it's a lot true. of tension in the room right now. <laughs> Just kidding. There's no tension. I would say I am a little bit more nervous about this episode than normal, though, because, like, not that this has really anything to do with, like, the work we do together on a daily basis, but I'm just worried. Like, Why? what if I mess up? What if I do something wrong? I don't know. Well, I'm going to really... I'm going to really humanize this moment and tell you, like, Caitlin gave me an outline of sort of what this was going to be about. And um, in true form of, like, the anxious lawyer, I took notes, like, <laughs> spent probably 10 minutes on how I was going to introduce just, like, who I am, which is, like, what, <laughs> which is what I do on a daily basis to, like, several people. So... No worries. No worries. (laughs) You fit right in with us. Uh, Okay, so we are talking today about um, employers and how to build safe workplaces for employees, how to make employees feel comfortable talking about mental health, and, and how employers can better support employees through their mental health journeys. And again, as you all know, this is specific to the legal industry, but I imagine that most of what we talk about today will be applicable across many industries. So before we get started, as you guys know, our first point of discussion for every episode is giving you all a little update on our mental health journeys. For me, I've been kind of just feeling like a little blah lately. Um, I've told you guys that I've had a lot of travel going on. It's been pretty exhausting. We've gone to several weddings lately. We've been all up and down the East Coast. We've seen a lot of people and it's been really, really great, but it's just kind of like running me down. Um, so I, I, I think mentally I've been feeling okay. I've just been really exhausted. That's, that's pretty much all I have going on. Yeah. 
Um, for me, I have a little update on my therapy hunt. So I called yet another provider and yet another provider has told me that they are not accepting new patients. However, um, so she called me to tell me this, which I was confused by because normally they just, you know, do the rude kind of slide into my text messages and are like, no, thank you, which is rude, but it's fine. Um, but she called, which is nice. And she also said, you know, I'm not accepting new patients right now, but tell me what you're looking for and I'll see if I can help. So I was like, well, that's exciting. Um, so I did. And I gave her my parameters and she was like, so wait, the therapist has to be queer, right? And I was like, yes, that's important. And she was like, no, no, I get that. That's totally valid. Just like wanted to, you know, make sure what you meant. So she was like, well, I'll regroup with you next week. I'll probably send you a list then. I'll put it on my listserv. Like, I guess there's like a listserv apparently, which makes sense for a therapist, et cetera. Um, like with my profile and see if anybody was like accepting like me as a patient and like if I would be a good fit for them. So she's apparently has done that. I mean, I don't know this person who knows what she actually did, but I don't know. Give me a little buoy of hope because I was like, whoa, somebody cares and I'm not even compensating them for this. They're just slapping my, you know, thing up on their left serve. So that's cool. So I'm going to follow up with her this week to see, um, what's going on with that. I mean, A, if she did it, <laughs> B, I mean, she has, you know, she doesn't really owe me anything. It's just a really nice, sweet thing she offered to do. Yeah. So I'm excited to follow up with her about that. Um, otherwise, I feel like it's funny because I think my last um, happy pill had to do with, oh, I, I think I said that I haven't been feeling any like super intense anxiety lately. And I like, made a note to myself to also note that down like in my in my like online journaling and then I feel like as soon as I got those words out of my mouth man like this weekend has just been ridden with like crippling anxiety which doesn't usually happen to me like to the point of where I didn't even feel like going out which is not something I ever feel even I don't know I feel like I have like my high functioning anxiety like a backpack always but I don't know, it very rarely like makes me even question like um, pausing to like not do the plans that I set out. So that was weird. And then I kind of struggled with like feeling like I should sit with the anxiety for a while and sit with just being uncomfortable and see if anything came up. So I was struggling with choice A doing that and choice B like making myself go out and do something because it didn't seem to be super productive for me to like sit there and dwell in kind of like a weird super negative space. So I was like, I don't know, on the one hand what I thought I should do was sit with it and on the other hand I was like, should I sit with it? I don't I don't know. So I went out anyway. I think it was for the better. Like I went to see a bunch of bands this weekend. It was super fun. I didn't feel like myself, but like I don't know. I still think it was better than like sitting there and dwelling in it. So yeah, I don't know. I feel weird. I feel weird about it. I feel better now, but that's my, that's my update. I'm still gonna, I've been puzzling through that today and kind of writing notes about it because I think we get all these self-care messages about, oh, just sit with it, sit with the uncomfortability and like figure it out. And I'm kind of like, how long am I supposed to sit with it before I'm like, this doesn't feel good anymore. And I feel like I'm punishing myself because I read a self-care Instagram post that said, sit with your feelings. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know, kind of mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between 
like sitting in those uncomfortable feelings and actually just letting it like take over your life, which is I crossed over that line earlier this year and I got really depressed and you guys know the rest of the story. So I think there's definitely a fine line between those two things. Hopefully you find a therapist soon and you can talk to her about that um, and, and maybe work through that. But Rebecca, do you want to update our listeners on your personal mental health journey? I know. I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this moment. <clears throat> um, so, well, one thing I will say um, that I didn't add to the introduction is I have diagnosed panic disorder, um, which I was, uh, I was diagnosed in my late teens. Um, so right about the time you go to college, which was fun. I wore my college sweatshirt today. So I could really be inside of my feelings. Oh, yeah. In case anyone out there is a Syracuse alum, Rebecca and I are both Syracuse alumni. Go Orange. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, go Orange. That's, That's right. why you got hired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is the only reason I got my job. That's okay. You've earned keeping it. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so anyway, so it's a really, um, it's a really uh, bizarre experience for me to listen to you guys go through what I went through you know, 10, 15 years ago. But I would say, you know, I'm sort of on the other side of the mountain now. Um, my struggles with panic disorder peaked in my early to mid-20s and have since abated. Um, I'm in sort of management mode. Uh, I do take medication daily, an SSRI. Um, but as long as I take care of myself and I eat healthy-ish and I sleep and um, exercise is really important, um, I can count on probably a handful of panic attacks a year um, and uh, having dealt with it for 15 years you guys are starting to sort of see that now you can you can feel it coming you are sort of developing tools to deal with it um, but I'm, I'm better able to manage it and um, because depression for me was always tied to the reoccurrence of the panic attacks that also means my mood has stabilized significantly um, so so you know most days I consider myself pretty healthy um, I have you know, my personality is my personality, but, um, but it was so much more, um, it was such a, it's so, such a larger presence in my life when I was in my twenties working through it. So, um, it has been, it's been really powerful to listen to you guys talk about it and sort of remember that time. Um, I remember how, you know, I remember how hard it was. Yeah. I think that's exactly why we wanted to have you on with, well, that's one of the reasons is because I think you're the first person we've had on the podcast that is actually on the other side of that journey. The rest of us, including Matt, I think are still going through it and still figuring ourselves out. Um, it's kind of weird because most of my life I've thought about like adolescence being the time of your life where you like really discover yourself and then you go to college and you figure out who you are and you like learn so much of yourself and then about yourself and then you come out and you like know who you are. And then I got to 27 and I was like, I don't know myself anymore. Like I'm not being myself this year. Like what is going on? And I feel like this year I have learned so much more about myself than I ever did before. So like, I don't know, it's just kind of, it's, it's a weird sensation, but it's good to see someone like you being so successful and being on the other side of it and knowing that like we will get there. It, it might take us time, but we will. I think it's interesting because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and also society puts pressure on us to like have it quote, figured out like by your mid-20s like that's kind of like the range I feel like people are like okay well I better have my marriage figured out and my education done and like you know be a boss and like all these things and when they don't come together and it's not a conscious thing you don't like ever like oh by 26 I'll have this done you're kind of just like well now's around the time that 
this will be all lined up for me and I won't have to worry about any sort of like mental health symptom because we think that like our problems as far as oh we just don't have our degree yet we haven't found the one yet we don't have kids yet etc and I think we think that when we get those things like our mental health will also be stable which is what I sort of thought that really your mental health isn't so much anchored on other people or things it's so internal which I didn't know either so it is nice to hear you talk about like the other side and like that sounds like really really nice and hopeful and everything (laughs) that's a sweet thought yeah no I mean I think you guys are doing the right thing by you know walking into the painful parts right so you know accessing your feelings about things and um, sort of like trying to go through it rather than around it Um, I think there are lots of distractions in your early life that allow you to go around whatever this is. So, um, you know, I'm sure you guys are hitting like prime wedding time. There's a lot of people that get married. Sorry for if (laughs) it applies (laughs) to some of you, but there's a lot of people that get married and um, use, you know, at this time in your life and use that as a way to sort of get around feeling like they haven't figured it out. Um, I just passed where my cohort is like divorcing and remarrying <laughs> so, and they you know and talking to friends of mine that have gone through that it really it, I, I believe that there is a huge pressure in your late 20s to have it figured out and the easiest thing you can do is move somewhere or get married or drink a lot and um, it takes time away from those kinds of distractions to like dig into how to deal with what you're dealing with so I commend you also you do not have to be a boss to be a boss everybody at this table is a boss believe that yes love that um all right so let's dive in you guys ready to dive in okay all right so um (laughs) I did send Rebecca an outline before this and one thing that I wrote in the outline was how did you get to where you are today and Rebecca left a comment saying like what do you mean by this and I went back to visit it today and I was like I have no idea (laughs) so I've been spending some time thinking about like where I was going with that and I think what might be really helpful for our listeners and what Laura and I wanted to talk to you about, aside from like how you've built Nixon Law Group and the environment that we have there, how did you get to where you are? Like, how did your panic disorder... That seems like the same question. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm going to explain it, I swear. Um, How did your panic disorder and maybe other mental illness or uh, mental health issues that you faced affect your career and how did you learn to deal with that? A lot of us are, like we said, just figuring out all of these different mental health issues that we have and trying to figure out how to balance working full time and getting mental health help. How, how did you work your way through that? So, well, so it's a good question. Um, I did some really positive things that were helpful and I did some not so positive things that were unhelpful. And um, I started to learn that the the positive things were the direction I wanted to go. But um, I actually have been very lucky in my career to have had amazing mentors um, and uh, supervisors. I um, started my career in a really stressful environment. I was working uh, for the Obama administration implementing the Affordable Care Act, which was passed my last year in law school. And um, I was working, you know, seven days a week 
um, in a very politically charged environment. Uh, and because, uh, because of a number of factors, it was very hard to hire soon after I came in. And so we were really, really understaffed. And I think I was 26 or 27 at the time. And because we were understaffed, if you were ambitious and you just said, yes, you got these amazing assignments. And um, I ended up reporting to President Obama's Domestic Policy Council on Affordable Care Act policy. And the people that were sitting at the table with me were chief counsel of the Departments of Treasury, Social Security, IRS, Office of Personnel Management, Homeland Security. These were people who had been working in their careers, if not in that those agencies, for 20 to 30 years. Um, I happened to know more about this topic than they did because it was so new. I could be the expert on it. Uh, but it was incredibly intimidating. That was around the time in my life where I was having panic attacks pretty regularly. Um, and um, I've, I've told this story to Caitlin, but um, you know, one of the report outs that I had to do, um, I knew was going to be contentious. I was very nervous. I took double my dose of Xanax, which I was taking at the time to, to manage sort of getting through the day, um, going into the meeting. And it was as if I didn't take anything, right? I was just on such, um, you know, it's where your heart's pounding and you're sweating and your fingers are tingly and you're, it was awful. So, so I sat down in the meeting, um, and the head of, my agency hadn't arrived yet so I was sort of there alone and had to deliver this news which you know we knew wasn't going to be well um, received anyway so I sat down across this the table from what was probably a very nice man and I gave my spiel and I always thought well I won't pass out right if I just keep <laughs> talking I won't pass out <laughs> right and the guy says immediately says absolutely not that's ridiculous right something very critical and I, um, I thought I was going to faint. I, my, I was outside of myself. And I stood up from the table in a beautiful conference room in the old executive office building in downtown DC. And I said, please excuse me. I ran out into the hallway. And um, there are these beautiful marble floors in, um, in that old office building. And all I could think of is if I could just get my temperature down, I could calm down. So. <clears throat> I laid down on the floor in my suit um, to put my face on the marble. And, and if anybody has had a panic attack, you know you're out of your mind, right? You're not really paying attention to what's like socially acceptable. Like you're definitely going to die. So yeah. you have to do what you have yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm laying um, outside of this room um, of very, very important people with my face on the marble. And the head of my agency comes up the steps. <laughs> and steps over my body <laughs> and goes into this conference room. And um, <laughs> I'm just remembering it now. So, so I remember that moment thinking, well, this is the worst thing that could happen, right? This is the absolute worst thing. And I'm definitely alive. I'm very embarrassed, but I'm alive. And um, I came back um, after that. I, I was able to go back into the room and manage myself. Um, and I came back to the agency, and there was sort of a sit-down with six senior management people who sort of said, like, are you okay? Like, are you, are you going to be okay? And then they made it very clear that um, that had jeopardized my ability to do that job. And um, I was able to convince them I was going to go 
get help. I was able to sort of make an excuse about I hadn't slept or I was sick or whatever. Um, and I ended up being okay. But I remember thinking the next day, um, when I am a complete badass and I have proven to these people that you can do anything that you want to do regardless of what you're dealing with, I'm going to tell people this story. <laughs> so thank you, Caitlin, for giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, this was, the, you know, in the mind of somebody who has anxiety about standing up in front of people or giving presentations or whatever, what you imagine to be the worst possible scenario, I have lived to tell the tale. <laughs> so, so you can do it too. Awesome. Do you think that like realizing that worst possible moment actually like, I don't know, sort of diminished its power? I sometimes feel like that when I'm like, okay, let's just imagine and go to the worst possible thing that could happen and just sit with that for a while and be like, okay, all right, this person's going to die. That's the worst possible thing that's going to happen. And then I'm like, okay, everybody died. I don't know. Like it'll be something yeah. really dramatic like that. But sometimes thinking about that helps me like, like, did it, did it feel like it gave you power and like when? <laughs> I definitely, I, I definitely in that moment thought I am surviving the worst possible scenario. Um, and, and luckily I worked for the federal government um, I believe that if that had happened in a private sector job, I would have lost that job. Yeah. Um, and I, and I struggled for a long time with whether I deserved to lose that job, um, because of what I was going through. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's part of this whole, like walking into it, right. Where, where you experience the worst parts and you go, all right, well, I'll just do better tomorrow. <laughs> right. And I think one of the skills that, um, one of the gifts that this has given me is a type of radical optimism that um, that defies like logic really that no matter what happens tomorrow I will it will be fine I will be fine it will be fine and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't but I really believe in sort of like walking into it that's how humans adapt and learn um, I remember early on in high school when I was diagnosed uh, reading a lot about agoraphobia and feeling very, um, very much r resistant to ever allowing this that is part of me, diminishing my like joy for life and being around people. And so anytime I feel anxious about something, I do it no matter what, I just do it. Um, and over 15 years, um, I think it has built my resiliency. That's awesome. I need to work on that. I let my anxiety <laughs> keep me inside. Yeah, yeah, we are for sure. Um, yeah, that's that's, that's I, so encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I think I, love that story. I know, right? I love that story. Yeah, Thank you for that story. I think it really puts things in perspective where like I've had really bad anxiety, but I'm lucky enough to work for you and Carrie where like I've never had that moment. I've never been afraid of having that moment because I know that like you all are going to be supportive no matter what. And I think that's so important. And I think that's actually a good transition into like the substantive topic that we wanted to talk about, which is how employers can build a safer environment for employees or a more comfortable environment for employees. So my next question for you is I've told all of our 
listeners, all of our listeners, the dozens of you that are out there, <laughs> hundreds, um, that I have felt really comfortable at Nixon Law Group talking with both you and Carrie about these topics. How how do you think that you and Carrie have been able to build that safe environment? Well, so I think you have to do it super intentionally. And I think because of my personal experience, it is sort of high on my list of things. Um, but, you know, I think a lot about the saying every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Um, and for law firms, that is um, astronomical rates of depression and anxiety, suicide, drug, alcohol abuse. And um, it is how people are coping with the, the you know, their lives and their working life is a huge part of it. And so um, I think it's our responsibility, one. Um, the, the, you know, what, what has always been important for Carrie and I is defining and saying out loud our personal values and having that translate into the values that we, um, uh, that, that represent our company. Um, and Caitlin knows these, um, but, but two of them, when I was thinking about this podcast, two of them are, are pretty salient. One is you do the right thing always. So employers are constantly having to make decisions about things that will positively and negatively affect their business, their bottom line, which is important because if you make poor decisions, uh, you can, you know, people's jobs rely on you to make sure that your company is profitable. Um, so there's, you know, there's a limit to, to sort of what employers can do to support employees. Um, but there is middle ground, right? So, um, you know, that if you're making a decision about, let's say someone's grandparents die in rapid succession, right? And that's devastating for them. Um, a law firm loses a lot of money every day. Somebody's not working. Uh, but our values tell us that the right thing to do is to be compassionate people in our personal and professional lives. And so if we didn't say those values out loud, um, if we didn't define them and think about them often, we, we would make different decisions. Um, and I think, um, I think that is pervasive in an industry where, uh, you know, maximizing revenue at the expense of all else. Um, in some cases, I'm not saying all firms do this, but it is, I think it is egregious in the industry, um, that that is something that leads to, um, you know, poor, poor performance and these outcomes. So the first thing is, you know, do the right thing. And the second is, you know, respect, encourage, and inspire each other. Um, I needed that and I got that in my career. And that's so important, you know, between everybody on the team, but especially from, from Carrie and I have sort of been around it longer, but, you know, been on the earth longer <laughs> for us to do that for the people that work for us. And, um, and so anyway, so I think that, 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 De, you know, defining those values and using them to make your decisions uh, is what not only supports people's mental health, but, you know, people's lives in general. So we, we do try to, um, we do try to stick by those to a fault. So I think you guys have cultivated um, such like a healthy, like happy, like mental health environment at your firm. And I think, and 
I mean, it's great because you guys get to like direct that from, you know, top down and bottom up and all around and encourage that. But I'm wondering about people who are either at like a larger company or a bigger firm who maybe don't have, you know, the the platform or the ability to kind of advocate for themselves and for people who work for them or maybe with them in the same ways. And I was thinking about this on the way over here. I mean, you can always sort of choose to um, really prioritize that kind of a happy, healthy environment when you, um, you know, go job seeking or if you want to change careers. And I mean, I know for me, at least like that would be really high up on my list. It's become more important as time has gone on, like a culture fit and what kind of like mental health environment I'm getting myself into. And that definitely um, impacts my, you know, career decisions. But for somebody who, you know, maybe fresh out of law school or taking a job and I don't know, I don't know that like mental health awareness and like culture was super high on my priority list really at many stages when I was sort of thinking about a career or job choice. So I guess the question sort of is, how would you like advise somebody to to advocate for themselves as a as just an employee maybe at like a bigger company and maybe this company has you know stated policies about you know mental health and maybe they have good solid hr and like solid insurance and etc but i don't know what can they do and like what can we do to kind of cultivate that own environment wherever we are well, so so I think among most companies, not just in the legal profession, th- there's a recognition, like the numbers show how important it is to support people having balance in their lives. So I sort of feel like it's code in the industry. You don't have to ask about their mental health resources, but you should ask about work-life balance. You should ask how many people are working every weekend. Um, you should ask for the pathways um, that don't include the maximum billable hour. Um, I, I don't know if, if you guys are aware, but a part-time lawyer is probably working 40 hours a week. And that means you're probably not going to make partnership track at a larger firm. But, um, but if, but if your, you know, mental health is your priority, um, that may be your path, right? I, I have a number of friends that have chosen that very purposefully, um, part-time, <laughs> part-time work, which is actually full-time <laughs> anywhere else. Um, but you know, if, if I'm thinking realistically, people do have to be careful. Um, not all organizations are, um, progressive when it comes to people being honest about what they're dealing with. Um, so, you know, I think finding somebody at that organization you can trust if you're already there, um, to talk to them first about how, you, how they think it'll be received is, is quite important. Um, there are there are reasons that an HR director would say, write this down in a file, right? Um, which is unfortunate, but that's sort of, you know, the, the world we live in. Um, but I think also organizations are changing. Um, you know, people like you are saying it's not okay to, to treat us like commodities, right? And that is forcing organizations to change. So just, just podcasts like this are so important for people in your shoes, but they're equally important for employers to hear. Um, and you know, part of the reason that we, we are creating this model, aside from the fact that Carrie and I would also like to live, you know, happy and healthy lives (laughs) 
is we are reacting to a marketplace of people that know that they can work hard but also and, and do well, um, but also are not interested in the, you know, the mill of the big firm. Um, for in-house for in-house positions, which is generally not available to a, a new law student unless things have 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 changed, in-house positions um, are are better, right? The hours are generally better. Um, but you want to ask these questions beforehand, right? You want to ask before you get to an organization, call, you know, go out to lunch with somebody who already works there and say, this is what they've told me this is going to look like. Like, you need to give me the real, real. <laughs> like, <laughs> am I giving up my weekends? You know, am I going to be expected to be in the office till nine o'clock every night? Um, because finding out afterwards you know, sort of locks you in. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really helpful. I was going to say that I think um, finding like if you are in that job search process, don't just listen to what the partners are telling you during your interview, because everyone is going to say that they have a great work life balance and they don't ever feel pressure to stay late. But like until you talk to that associate that's actually working at the level that you're probably going to be working at when you get there, you don't you may not really get a full picture of, of what the environment is really like. So I think that's a really good point. Laura, you mentioned earlier something that I think Carrie and Rebecca are really good at, which is starting to build a healthy environment from the top down. And we recently read an article from the Virginia State Bar that talked about employers setting wellness examples for their employees. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, that article basically said, like, Employers can improve the wellness of their employees by setting an example of what is acceptable. Like, for instance, if you're going to encourage your employees to go for a midday walk, the the employers and the partners in that firm, the higher ups should also be going for a midday walk if, if they want their employees to actually think that it's OK to do that. So so and I think that you and Carrie have done a really good job of this. Um, oh, thank you. Many of us feel really comfortable blocking off an hour for yoga every day on our calendar if we want to. Um, and I've noticed like both of you setting that example. So my general question is like. One, do you think that all employers can do this? Have you tried to do it yourself on purpose or is it just something that has like come naturally to you? And and if so, do you think that really can be helpful on a larger scale for larger employer organizations to implement? I'm not always really great at doing the whole work-life balance thing. Um, but I do believe if you love what you do, even if you're working lots of hours, it's it doesn't have to be a negative on your mental health. Um, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. But, I, but Carrie and I founded the firm with the vision of a workplace where that allowed us to be well as humans, um, not necessarily just mentally well, but able to see our families, to get enough sleep, to... Um, you know, set aside our weekends and evenings, you know, not have to waste time on a commute to meet, to, you know, leave midday for yoga or um, spin or whatever to, to ena enable us to pursue our passions outside of work. Carrie and I both have sort of active lives outside of the firm as well. Um, and we, and we hope all of our staff does, um, does too. So um, we said, you know, there's only so much time in a day and we don't want to spell, spend our entire lives working. 
that required us to be okay with not maximizing the amount of revenue that we made. Um, we have accountants that are very disappointed in our numbers, right? Who work with other law firms and say, you could be getting so much more out of these people. And the thing is like, we know, (laughs) but our goal was to create a workplace where we could be well and our, of the five values that we have as a firm, maximizing revenue is just not one of them. Um, and so some, for some people that's not, they want to both employees and employers, they want to maximize revenue and there's, that's one way to do it. Um, we had to decide not to, um, and we're happy with it. This is, you know, five years in, this is, um, we both feel incredibly blessed to work where we work and, and with the people we work with. Um, in, in, in terms of setting an example, um, I don't think we do it purposefully. We, we, we built a firm that allows us to live our lives the way we want to live it. Um, and we pass that on to, you know, to the people that work for us. Um, it does require a group of people that can manage themselves, right? That are responsible, that understand what is expected of them. And if they, you know, want to go running for two hours one afternoon that they will put their kids to bed and and make up those two hours later um you know there is flexibility but again there's you know as a as a business you you do have to you know pay attention um i just think the balance is off in in law in general right this model that's built on extracting the maximum amount of work from lawyers so that the people at the top can make as much money as they possibly can it makes sense to me that founders and owners of businesses who are taking the most risk and who have the most responsibility should make more um but there should it's there should be a balance right there should be a balance that takes into account sort of the human the human element yeah i think one of the one thing that kind of bothers me a lot about like other firms and just kind of like society in general is this idea of like the people higher up saying well we went through it 20 years ago so now you have to go through it and you'll be fine because look at us we're doing fine we're making like all of this money so like just wait until you get there yeah the ones that haven't like dropped out because of stress or you know drink themselves to sleep every night right and I mean there's a reason why a lot of lawyers go from firms to in-house right they it's a it's grueling and then and then they pop out and then live their lives. Well, that doesn't have to be the way it is in a law firm. Yeah, and I wonder if it's just kind of like a different mindset between like us and an older generation that like was trained to- You're not including me in the older, No, I'm really not. No, I'm really not. (laughs) Um, Because like my mindset is more like, I didn't just like spend the last seven years of my life in law school, spending all this money on law school and working this hard to just like then go sacrifice the next 10 years of my life at a big law firm or, you know, any law firm doesn't have to be a big law firm. I think small law firms can have this type of culture as well. And so I think like that mindset is different where like I came out of law school and I was like, I already did my time. I don't want to do more time so that at some later date, I can like retire and live happily ever after. I'm like in the prime of my life. I want to do that now. I want to have that enjoyment now. And so I wonder if maybe it's like a societal mindset is shifting among different groups of people or if it's just, 
I, I don't I don't really know what it is, but I think the mindset is different. And I think that's really important too. Like I like that you use like like prison lingo. Like yeah. I did my time. <laughs> that is, I feel like law school was prison. I think the narrative is such that it's like work hard now and then we can just fully do nothing by the time we're sixty or something. And I'm like, I'm going to have wrinkles when I'm sixty. I wanna do yeah. things now. I wanna like go travel now and like spend money now and I don't know maybe I'm like too YOLO or something but like I'm not I don't know I don't think about <laughs> yeah I am I, I like do whatever I, I want name this episode too, YOLO. <laughs> too YOLO yeah I mean uh, I, I think especially when you start having children mm-hmm. not that that's a choice everyone has to make but um I've known a lot of lawyers that you know when their kids are 13 and 14, finally get some balance, take some job with some balance. Um, but my kids change on the daily. Like they learn new things every day and I want to be there. I'm, I I refuse to not be there. Um, and I, and I think there has not always been that choice there. I think, I do think the industry is evolving. Yeah, I think that's what it is, though. I think that, like, the older generations didn't really have as much of a choice. Mm -hmm. And now we can see that there is a choice. And I would absolutely make that choice. I make that choice in regards to my dog. I'm like, no, I want to spend time with her, man. Like, I'm not I'm not doing this. Like, I'm working from home today. I'm spending time with my dog. And I mean, obviously, it's not like I had some grueling, terrible law firm experience. But I don't know what we're two and a half years out, about to be three years out. Mm -hmm. And I popped out to go in house because I don't know I think my one of our professors always jokes with me and is like yeah you won't catch Laura the Elvis past nine and I'm like yes that is exactly yeah. right yeah. you yeah. say this like it's like <laughs> a funny insult but really I feel quite okay <laughs> with that statement being said about me and it's like oh Laura Laura prioritizes her work-life balance and I'm like yes I really yeah. do I have so many hobbies and interests outside of my work that I spend lots of time on and that I enjoy doing and I would no honestly no amount of money or perks or whatever would make me give that up so is what it is (laughs) yeah I think like for us too having that balance is really important for some people like you said earlier Rebecca if you really love your work and you're working a lot of hours for some people that's okay and like just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're in a bad environment but but I think the point of like what we're all talking about today is and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is like to do that self-assessment. Like, am I really okay with this or am I just feeling the pressure of my work environment to do it? I feel like I can speak to that too. Like, I feel like people just do it because because they like think that's what they're supposed to do. And I remember having a meeting with one of our um, uh, former partners at the firm and I was like sort of like thinking about different firms and et cetera. And I met with him and a few other people and they were like, well, in order to be a rainmaker, you need to do X, Y, and Z things. And you'll just be, you'll be just like X person or Y person. And they were talking and I was kind of like silently freaking out at these networking meetings because I was like, that's not, that's not what I want. That's not what I want. And I was like freaking out and I was like, what's wrong with me? And then I was like, wow, like, I can't believe I went to all these like stupid lunch and breakfast meetings. Like I got nothing out of it. And then I was like, wait, Laura, you got a lot out of it. You got information about yourself and you were sitting there listening to those people talk about like what they would have loved and their goals and how they felt at my age about certain things and what they would do. And if that's not what I want it to look like in 20 years, then I don't have to choose that path. It's just not my path. Like if it doesn't sound attractive, like nobody's mandating what I do with my life. So 
what's also really important is, is that like work-life balance is really a balance. It doesn't mean that you're not working. It doesn't mean that you're not like doing what is asked of you or like blowing off work. It just means that you have a balance between what you want to be doing in your personal life, personal life and what you want to be doing in your work life. Like for me, I love the work that I do. I'm passionate about it. I enjoy every single day that I that I go to work but I don't want to be doing it 24 seven. I want to have time to walk my dog and spend time with my partner and go visit my family. And so like, I think there is also somewhat of a, and it's probably stigma. It's probably something, something that we, you know, could have talked about in our stigma episode or will address as we go forward talking about stigma is that like work-life balance and, and thinking about mental health doesn't necessarily mean that you're just going to like blow off work. It means that you really do have that balance, whatever that means to you, whatever you want your balance to be, you're able to find it and feel comfortable in that, in your work environment. So, well, I just can't help myself because when I listen to your podcast, I think like, Oh, I thought through that whole, that same thing. And here's how I thought about it. And like I've always want to get your feedback. Anyway, it's a great it's it's a great podcast. Keep listening, everyone. <laughs> so, but I did want to leave you with a couple of jewels. Um, I feel like I already got jewels. I that, know. Like, <laughs> jewels. Some sort of um, a couple of epiphanies that I had that have helped me um, deal. And um, I one of them is: Have you ever thought about? what the opposite of anxiety is like what would you say is the opposite of anxiety Hmm. just taking a stab I don't know I guess there isn't an opposite for me it's the absence of anxiety so like it just feels probably neutral or even dare I say calm and peaceful or something like I don't really know what it feels like because it always feels like a low hum like on the best day I don't know what do you think yeah, I wonder if that's why it was so hard for both of us to realize that like we hadn't been feeling anxiety in a while because like there was never that aha moment of like, oh my God, my anxiety is gone. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's been like three days and I haven't like freaked out in the middle of the work day. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you got it wrong. <laughs> of course. So, of no, course. No, this so, is what I was afraid of. So that's, so anyway, so that's pretty common. That's what I used to think, right? Yeah. So the opposite of this is just the absence of it, right? If I could just get rid of this in my life. But I think what that overlooks is that there are very useful things um, that, um, that result from from anxiety what I love to do is sort of reframe it right um so when you think of what happens when you have anxiety it's sort of high arousal um it is rapid heartbeat it is racing thoughts things like that and um, especially when it comes to sort of um specific events that you're prepping for specific things that are happening that are causing you anxiety high arousal uh, interpreted negatively is anxiety, right? But you've been running and your heart rate has been up and you've been sort of uh, uh, breathing very hard, et cetera. And you don't interpret it that negatively. It's when it happens when there's no no reason. So um, I watched a um, TED Talk by this um, guy whose name I'm going to I don't remember what it was. I should have written down. But what he said is, like, world-class athletes who perform, um, you know, at the Olympics, at, you know, the NBA finals, um, reporters always come up and ask them, like, 
before the game, like, are you nervous? And they always say, no, I'm excited. And so what they do is they take that arousal, which is the same thing we're feeling when we're anxious and thinking about it negatively, and they say, this is excitement. And reframing in that way allows them to perform without sort of the, the negative pieces of it. So when I get up in front of a room of people I'm intimidated by, I literally repeat to myself, like, you are so excited right now. <laughs> like, you could not be more excited. And when you're excited, your brain works more efficiently, right? Because evolutionarily it had to, right? If, if, if a bear was chasing you or whatever, you had to like think quickly, find the bush. Yeah. Um, so that's what it allows you to do. Um, so that's the one, that's one way that I reframe it. Um, well, that's just really interesting because when you started talking about like the physical feelings of like a run, it is actually the same as anxiety. Like it's, I'm sweating. I am short of breath. I am like, I don't know. Well, sometimes when I have anxiety, I like shake and get hives, but <laughs> that's not that doesn't really happen <laughs> when I work out. But but I think you're right. Like in general, a lot of those physical feelings, and we talked about this during one of our former episodes, like what the physical feelings of anxiety are, and and I think that's actually a really good idea to just kind of like reframe it and use it to your advantage. And we've talked about that before too. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and so the the second the second thing I was going to ask you is, can you think of anything? This is not a right or wrong, just so you know. Can you think of any any benefits um, in your life that you have reaped based on the fact that you are chronically anxious? Yeah, I think I think I talked about that a lot at first. I have a couple thoughts about that. Yes always but I think I thought that so much to like a dangerous degree of <laughs> I used to think that that would my anxiety was like the only reason that I was productive or efficient or like intelligent or any of those things I was like well if I didn't have anxiety I wouldn't have gotten this paper done and I probably would have <laughs> I don't know I think I I put it up on a pedestal for like a really long time and I think I got a lot of like joy and also kind of community by being like oh I'm anxious like we're all type A people right we're all the same kind of like really anxious neurotic person okay that means we're gonna get our group project done awesome so but yeah so I think I took it to like a stupid degree but yes I can think of several times where it feels like part of me I don't necessarily want to eradicate it um yeah which is interesting because you said the opposite is being calm right mm -hmm. the opposite the opposite is absence of right right so I you know I, I I didn't have that that is a very interesting way to frame <laughs> it but I have had a lot of sort of god like if you just didn't have this your life could be this other thing that might be better um, but the reality is that there are real benefits especially for lawyers right like one of the things that anxiety does is it helps us avoid risk yeah right so I'm always on high alert yeah you're on high alert um you're an achiever uh, and of course you don't want to sort of have you want to go too far in one direction but I do believe a lot of the most interesting and successful and driven people I know this anxiety is part of their their personality um, and so maybe the maybe working toward eradicating it as opposed to reframing it mm -hmm. reframing how you feel about it c could be could be helpful yeah like that like 
getting rid of it fully is a probably not possible really like fully eradicating anxiety isn't super realistic I don't know if that's a helpful thought necessarily is to is to fully get rid of it but I like the idea of reframing it in my head I feel like I like to frame it as I would like to shave a chunk of it off some days because some days I'm on such high alert I I couldn't even like drive efficiently the other day because I felt like every single car turning onto my road I was like slamming my brakes because I was just catastrophizing oh if that car was moving a little bit too quickly it would hit me which yeah so it was like interfering with my driving instead of making me a safer driver so you're like a ruminator oh yeah yeah for sure yeah I will just sort of echo what Laura said that like for me, I think there was a moment where like the anxiety was way too much and it was it was actually like starting to negatively affect my day. And I hadn't really thought about it in the sense of like trying to reframe it when it starts to feel like too much. But I think that that can be really helpful. Um, and I think also Laura, SSRIs. Also oh, that. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> always the Lex, always Lexapro, always Lexapro. It's getting to a level where you are comfortable in it and you can do that reframing is is at least for me was the first step but but now that I like we've had this discussion with you I think that might be my next step is like because I know it's not fully gone like I actually had a lot of anxiety this weekend also but like it wasn't debilitating it wasn't to the point where like I literally couldn't leave the house I was able to like get up and and go do stuff which was you know, an important step for me based on the way the, the uh, beginning of this year went. So, but yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really interesting and definitely going to try to like use that going forward. I was thinking too, um, because the idea of eradicating like my anxiety always made me super anxious and frankly, like more opposed to things like SSRIs and medication because I thought that it would take away like a chunk of my personality that I actually did like mm-hmm. so that's I don't know that's something that's just personally interesting for me to like ruminate on because I thought that for so long that I was like well I don't want to fully get rid of my anxiety because it feels like a piece of me and I feel like it's motivating it puts me on alert I catch things that other people aren't catching and that's important for being a lawyer as well as I don't know being like a safe human I feel like so I like that part so the idea of medication for me more so before but e- even now there's a tinge of oh my gosh like I can't get rid of my high alert system it is functioning beautifully some of the time and I, I can't do that well I, I will tell you that I, I have not I, I it has not eradicated anxiety right it has made it so that I can personally manage it um, those those sort of tools those non-medication tools are still super important and I still deal with it um, but it's not it's not like I'm on high alert all the time it used to be high alert it used to be physically overwhelming um, and I think you know the medication has 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 really helped with that um, but especially for sort of point in time right if I'm working through something and it's causing me anxiety if I can frame it and say you know what it's really actually beneficial for me to be thinking about this really deeply because this is really important or yeah. um this isn't actually this isn't actually a negative thing right this is actually my body doing exactly what's supposed to do to prep for something that I need a bunch of adrenaline to get through or 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 whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't always work sometimes you're just having a panic attack in the middle of the night and there's no there's right but um, but that's not that's not the norm I think we all sort of are dealing with things on a daily basis clients and and personal relationships and all of that that can cause anxiety um, and and having a way to think about it as something that is a gift to you rather than um, uh, you know burden to bear 
um, ha- has been helpful for me. All right. Uh, well, that was a really, really great discussion. We really appreciate you being here with us. I think that if there are any employers out there listening to this, hopefully they've learned something from you. And I'm sure that the rest of our audience has definitely learned something from this conversation. Hopefully you all can take this back to your current workplace and and start thinking about you know, how you're feeling in that environment. Um, okay, it's time for a happy pill. Happy pills. My happy pill this week is, I'm going to kind of like steal from Laura's happy pill from last week. I have a weekend coming up with like almost no plans and I am so excited. I have one party to go to Saturday night. It's like a white elephant gift exchange, which I'm also really looking forward to. But other than that, I already told my partner we're not doing, well, I personally am not doing anything else I will be like from 5 p.m. Friday or whenever I'm done with work I will be just like doing nothing Um, and I can't wait for that because I'm very exhausted from all of our previous travels and it's all been great and it's all been so fun but I'm ready to just like sit back and chill (laughs) what's your happy pill Rebecca um just um to have the privilege to sit here with you guys and um my favorite thing is to be helpful and so if if this has been in any way that is my that is my happy pill that's amazing i love that well now i have two happy pills (laughs) the first is like honestly your jewels of wisdom because I love things like, like, I'm probably going to go put it in my little counseling notes because I am like, I, I don't have a therapist right now. And this kind of felt like a little bit of therapy. Yeah. So um, I've been through a lot of it. So I was going to say, I may have I absorbed some. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I didn't mean this to sound offensive, but I was like, you sound like you've been through like a decent amount of therapy. And yes. I really appreciate the way you yes. speak about things. Yeah. <laughs> I know I can tell like now, like not after not even really having been through a lot of a length of therapy like when people speak about mental health now I'm like you've been to therapy I can hear I can hear the voice as much as I would like to fully take credit for all of it (laughs) that have been deep hours of self-directed thought yes yes I think I put like (laughs) in my dating ad from a while ago I think I said something akin to like must be in therapy or like must have gone to therapy or something like that so that is for sure a qualification of mine. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's one happy pill. More therapeutic thoughts to like kind of think about. Um, second happy pill is that I was able to successfully like pretty much um, abandon like my productive plans for most of Sunday. And again, these were like happy, like productive plans I had. I was going to like get up early, go do a dog adventure, like do all these things, edit podcasts, etc. And we just kind of slept in and lazed, which normally gives me high anxiety because I it feels like I'm wasting a day if I do that. I do not. No, I hate it. I don't oh understand. You probably don't who, even take naps. No. Oh, I used to in tragedy. high school. That was the. La- <laughs> no, I no, I can't. Like it, it makes me neurotic. I feel like I'm like missing something. Or and and they're self-imposed things. I'm not like there's not anything I actually have to do. It's just like the ideas that I've created for myself for the day. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I abandon those, usually I'm like, Oh no, something's went wrong. But I just sort of like listened to my body. I laid in bed until like 11. And then a suggestion was made to like 
I don't know, just go to the grocery store and get Christmas baking supplies. And I was like, at first I was like, no, 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 I have way too much to do. And then I was like, I actually don't have anything to do. (laughs) So that's what we did. And we kind of were just lazy until like five, which I never do that. And I didn't have any bad or anxious feelings about it. I feel like, you know, my annual day to do this was that day and it was good. So I feel happy about that, that I was able to let it go for a day. So that is progress. Is that a frozen reference? <laughs> you know what? It wasn't, but now it is. <laughs> this Great. So that's happy pills. Now homework. Oh, do we have? Do you know what the homework is? You have homework. No, I don't have homework. Do you want to? It's winter break. Homework? It's winter break. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll give you guys a winter break because Rebecca said it. No homework this week. Ooh. Just enjoy New Year's Eve if you're doing anything fun. Have fun. Bye, guys. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank Bye. You. Hey, self-care partners, just a reminder to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you don't mind, give us a follow on Instagram at Emotion for Mental Health and like us on Facebook. If you want to participate in our conversation, slide into our DMs or shoot us an email at emotionformentalhealth at gmail.com. Talk Talk to you soon. soon.